Hi, everyone, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of The Sheila Zielinski Show. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to tune into the program and what a program it is today. My guest is a good friend of the program and we're going to get into a lot of stuff, but also we're going to talk about a really cool event in June in Spokane, Washington and why you want to get out to this. Boy, oh boy, wait till you find out who's speaking at this event. We're going to get into that and so much more in this program. Buckle up. It's going to be a good one. It is Patrick Wood. Patrick is the author of Technocracy Rising, one of my favorite books, and it is such a pleasure to welcome him back to the program. Patrick, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Welcome. Hi, Sheila. It's always good to be back. Great to have you back on. Listen, tell the folks a little bit about a really exciting event that you and I are both going to be at. It's coming up. Why people need to book this on their calendar, talk about the guest speakers, the venue, give them a sneak peek to all this before we get into the program here, Patrick, and we'll, and we'll touch on it at the end as well. Well, this is called the Red Pill Expo. It's based on the, the analogy of the Matrix movie, of course, taking the red pill versus the blue pill. This is the brainchild of uh, the uh, well-known author and researcher, uh, speaker, G. Edward Griffin. He authored The Creature from Jekyll Island many years ago, and I don't know how many thousands and thousands of books he sold around the world, but he's pretty much a household name for a lot of people. He has um, uh, cooked this idea up to bring experts from around the world to one place at one time. It's going to be in Spokane, Washington this year, uh, June 21 to 23rd. And we have such a lineup of speakers that are going to speak about breaking through the veil of fake news and fake history to lay out the truth for people to get their mind wrapped around it. It's just, it's, it's going to be absolutely incredible. People like Lord Christopher Monckton coming from, all the way from Great Britain. Amazing. Del Bigtree is going to be there. He's the producer of the movie Vaxxed. He's going to talk about health and health freedom issues. Guys, we've got Tom DeWeese coming, the founder of American Policy Center, America's expert on Agenda 21 and property rights issues. It's just incredible. we got Larry Pratt coming from Gun Owners of America to straighten everybody out on what's going on actually with gun control, you know, push and regulations and stuff in America. And the list just goes on and on, Sheila. Yeah. We, we can't go through every one. It's an amazing list of speakers. It's got a fantastic list of speakers. We're going to tell you how you can save 15% off the price of your admission ticket. But oh boy, I mean, G. Edward Griffin authored one of the books that really changed things for me, The Creature from Jekyll Island. I think it fomented my going into this, really. It was very instrumental in that. But, you know, Del Bigtree from Vaxxed, I mean, Lord Monkton, Tom DeWeese, you know, Carl Tycrop. There's just so many... Like you said, too many to list. I got to tell you a quick story. Funny, we're talking about Dell Big Tree Vaxxed. Quick story. So I'm speaking in Calgary two weekends ago. And so I'm on the plane and I'm sitting there and this guy strikes up a conversation and asks me what I do and blah, blah, blah. And then I asked him what he did. And he said he's a fourth generation cattle rancher. And he was talking about the difference between steroids and non-steroids. And we were just talking about different things around meat production. And then he said, yeah, we do vaccine 
vaccinate our cattle. He got into vaccinating cattle. And it was really funny because then he said, you know, it's like those kooks, those whack jobs that don't vaccinate your kids, you know, kind of like that. And then I said, well, you know what? I don't vaccinate my kids. And he went beet red and he just looked forward the whole rest of the the one hour flight. Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) But in a way, it's kind of not even funny, though, that we are relegated to the depths of the damned if we don't vaccinate our kids because people have just drunk the Kool-Aid, which is why this is really important. And a lot of people say, hey, listen, you know, I want to meet like-minded people. Well, this is why events like this are really important. Well, we're going to talk about the Red Pill Expo a little tiny bit more at the end of the program and how you can save 15% on your ticket. That's amazing savings. And we're going to give you the coupon code for that. Now, listen, turning gears a little bit, Patrick, we're getting slammed here. We are getting absolutely inundated with some really scary stuff. We're going to touch on some things today because I don't think people really realize this stuff is not coming. It's here. It, it is. This is going on right now. And the powers that be that are shaping the world right now are doing things that the public just doesn't have a clue. No, they really don't have a clue. And that is the frightening part is how duped so many people are. They don't have a clue about the very insidious nature of what is on the horizon here. Because as I get more and more into my research for Technogeddon, the coming human extinction is my subtitle. I mean, this stuff is frightening. And it's coming at us mock speed. You know, even Ray Kurzweil and his gang of hucksters, you know, if people are listening and they go, who's Ray Kurzweil? He's kind of the poster boy for transhumanism. He's even saying now, hey, forget what I said about 2045. These guys are predicting things that are within 10 years, Patrick. The intensification of all of this sinister technology, this stuff is coming at us like a bullet train, and it is frightening. It, it is. And just, just to kind of help people understand what Ray Kurzweil was predicting with the singularity, what he was saying, or what at least what he was proposing, is that artificial intelligence would exceed human capability in the year 4045, he said originally. That, that's how he figured how long it would take for artificial intelligence to grow and to you know get better and so on. Right. And so you know when you think about that, it's amazing. That means that a computer can outthink a human. And from there, the curve is virtually vertical. In other words, the, once the computer's got that capability, their own curve of advancement would virtually go vertical. And so Kurzweil predicted this many years ago. And because of recent developments now, stuff that's been happening, new inventions and new breakthroughs and this, that, and the other, Kurzweil's upped his uh, or brought back his forecast from 2045 to 2029. That is huge. So he's looking at this just a few years out. I, I mean, you and I will probably be alive in 2029. I'm still reminded, however, that um, the Bible does have something to say about transhumanism. It says it's appointed for man once to die and then comes judgment. So I have a feeling that regardless of the best laid plans they have, that they're going to find there's a monkey wrench somewhere along the way that's going to screw their plans up. But nevertheless, they're making they're making the prediction, right? So we just report it. There it is. Well, every day there's like some other weird headline. For example, in the mirror today, just today, this is 
robots greet customers at world's first personless bank branch where humanoids manage everything. Like, how sick is that? You know, we already know that these AI bots are actually communicating with one another in code. You know, it's not bad enough that recently I was reading an article where you can buy memory implants now. So you're not even going to know which memories are real and which aren't. So not only do you have total recall going on, but you also have this internet of everything. That's where things are moving. This is a new term. It used to be, we we used to be concerned with the Internet of Things. That's been kicked around for a long time. And the Internet of Things has to do with all the inanimate objects in the world, like your smart meter and your smart refrigerator and your smart light bulbs and your smart computers and your smartphone. They're all hooked together. They all talk to each other. They're going to. So, you know, people say, well, that's pretty scary. But wait a minute. The Internet of Things now, which is the big talk of the town, is going to include people in the mix. So all the inanimate objects in the world will be communicating pretty much on a real-time basis with all the people in close proximity in the world. Now, this hasn't been possible before, but it is now thanks to communication breakthroughs like the new 5G standard for cell phone communications. That's 5G, for instance, in relation to 4G and 3G and whatever. The, the new thing now is 5G. You know, we talked in terms of having like uh, Cox cable or CenturyLink or something you know, with a hardwire to your house and then you have Wi-Fi in your house sort of thing. We used to talk in terms of fiber optic cable being connected to homes and, you know, you get high-speed internet. The problem is those types of connections don't move when you move, right? Yeah. They, they're stationary. And what the global elite have figured out, the thinkers, this is the movers and shakers amongst the global elite. Your house is a geographic feature on the face of the planet. It can be cross-haired and, you know, longitude, latitude, whatever. Everybody knows where your house is. But when you go out of your house and you go to a doctor, you go to a store, you go to, you know, whatever, they lose track of you because your house is stationary, but you're moving. Well, the new theory in social engineering is we have to also set a geographic point, if you will, on all the moving objects in society. That means everything, anything that moves, cars move, people move, drones move, other things move, but they want to track those moving things as points of geography. And that requires connectivity to do that. Mobile connectivity, not fixed connectivity, mobile connectivity. So the new 5G, uh, this new 5G is going to provide people in cities, for instance, on their cell phones and you know other things that they carry with at least 100 megabit per second connection. Now, you probably don't even get that at your home right now with your cable that you have. <laughs> that's huge. That's so fast, you just can't hardly imagine how fast it is. Back in the old days when, when networks and offices were like wired together with coaxial cable, uh, we used to lust for having a 10 megabit per second connection within our own office. Then gigabit stuff came out. You know, that was, oh man, that was really just setting the world on fire. But now the mobile technology is going to replace all that with super, super high-speed connectivity on every device that you have that has like cell capabilities. That means everything's connected in real time, real time. In other words, there's no delay in stuff being uploaded or it has to wait until the signal gets better. 5G is going to allow for instantaneous survey of the entire landscape. I mean, it's just been conceived before, but now 5G is going to make it possible. 
you know, th- there's so many frightening aspects to this because even the 5G cell phone towers, the signals, you know, the impacts on our health even, you know, all these cell towers going up in a neighborhood near you, if not now, maybe soon. And with wireless carriers installing millions of these across the country to enable this faster 5G cell phone tech, well, a lot of people are rightly so asking, what are the health concerns here? I mean, we already know. I've had Dr. Laura Presley on my show talking about smart meters are bursting people's blood cells. Literally, when you stand next to a smart meter within like 10 meters or something, they're bursting the red blood cells. You can see this in in real time. But with all this stuff, we're getting bathed in a toxic soup of something and it can't be good. Well, we are, and they don't care at this point. They have said they don't care because it has to be. They they look at this as some sort of a manifest destiny almost. We have to do this because we just have to. This is a technocrat mindset, by the way. You'll find that this is common to people who are in this mindset. They don't care what the unintended consequences might be ever because it's the discovery of the technology that matters to them, not what it does down the road, but it's the discovery of it. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know what it's going to be like until, but we're going to find out real soon. <laughs> now, I have a book called Priorities for Geoint Research, G-E-O-I-N-T. What Geoint stands for is geospatial intelligence. Now, this book was produced by the National Research Council. This is an official document. It was produced at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. This was the original requirements for geospatial intelligence that was put together by the National Academy of Sciences back in 2006. And I got a hold of this book. I knew I had to have it. When I saw it, I said, I've got to have that because this was the architectural proposition or whatever for geospatial intelligence. That's the the field of everything moving, but you're tracking it all the time. Do you remember the uh, the war games that took place down in Arizona and Texas, New Mexico two years ago? Yes, Jade Helm 15. There you go, exactly. Jade Helm was an exercise to test the software that was specified by this document, GeoInt Research. They put together uh, this software. They tested it in battlefields around the world. They needed to test it in a clean environment where nobody had ever seen it before. But the idea was, was to establish patterns of people, track people by whatever means possible. You could track them by facial identification or cell phones or whatever. But you got to get them marked. You got to get a marker on them somehow so you know where they're moving. And you track the herd. It's herd management is what it is, Sheila. You track the herd, and then you put this on a screen, like on a big computer screen, and you can actually see the society that you're focusing on move about and do things, you know, the normal things within the context of the software. It's fueled by, of course, artificial intelligence. And whenever some event comes along, that is out of the ordinary, right? Like, let's say you were, you were supposed to go to your doctor, but instead you ended up 15 miles away at a gun store, <laughs> right? And it goes ding, 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 you know, and all of a sudden alarm bells go off. Sheila's out there doing something. We're not sure what, but hey, let's scope in on her and find out what's going on because she's zoned out of her normal pattern. Geospatial intelligence is the driving technocrat mentality behind 5G and behind connecting the world, that is the internet of everything together. That is the driving impetus behind this. And I'll tell you what, you put it together and I mean, you just, your jaw drops. 
You know, when you think about the global 5G, the global technocracy, the global brain, I think of global cities. I think of these smart cities. Oh, and by the way, I forgot. Sunday, it's a little late. I'm wishing you a belated, happy, Gaia-loving pagan death cult day for Earth Day. We worship Gaia Day, by the way. (laughs) But it, it reminds me of these global cities under Agenda 21, Agenda 30. Why do they want you in these smart cities? So they can control every area. Area of your life. This is all about control. Let me give you a little backstory on Agenda 21. This is really important. Agenda 21 was produced at the first Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro in 1992. Uh, the chairman of that meeting was Maurice Strong. He's passed now, but he was your fellow Canadian. And they praised Agenda 21 and the whole sustainable development mantra as having emanated from one particular book that was produced a few years earlier called Our Common Future. It was a result of the so-called Brundtland Commission that was sponsored by the United Nations, started in 1983, terminated in 1987 with the publication of Our Common Future. The head of the Brundtland Commission, it was named after her, was Gru Harlem Brundtland, the former prime minister of Denmark, an environmentalist herself, who also, Sheila, now she was praised as being the mother of Agenda 21 and sustainable development, okay? The United Nations themselves praise her to this day. She was a member of the European contingent of the Trilateral Commission. You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) The policies that came into Agenda 21 were created by a member of the Trilateral Commission. This is their policy, New International Economic Order. It can't be any more clear. Once you see it, it's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) But isn't it interesting, too, that the Pope practically named his climate encyclical, as I call it, in 2015. He called it our common home. Isn't that frightening, the the language, Patrick? (laughs) Well, it is. You know, people have imitated our common future continuously since 1992. It, it pops up everywhere you look. If you look at any general plan within a city today, any given city around the country, you will find sustainable development language lifted straight out of the book, Our Common Future. This is trilateral commission policy to twist the resources of the world out of your hands, out of my hands, and into the hands of the global elite. They're no longer content with just getting money. They want the resources themselves. And that's what sustainable development is all about. Giving up resources to the global common good so that um, they can save resources for future generations. Isn't that a comforting thought that somebody's going to make sure that your children and grandchildren are taken care of after you're gone. <laughs> I could buy a bridge in Brooklyn for that, for that line. <laughs> Come on. But when you take all this in a culmination, and then, by the way, you throw in Billy Crone. Pastor Billy Crone is on my show talking about drones. He did this incredible attack of the drone, Skynet. People got to get that book and the series. But the point is, hey, Patrick, that's not a fly. Swarm tech. I mean, this stuff is the stuff of nightmares, Patrick. If people didn't listen to that show, they've got to go back and listen to it. But this this stuff is a, a terrifying reality when you have swarm tech. So now you got AI, you got swarm tech, you got drones, you got 5G, robot super soldiers, unmanned squadrons of vehicles, and now throw DARPA in the mix. 
Wow, you have a real cornucopia straight out of the bells of hell, don't you? Well, yeah, DARPA is another story. I've got a lot of articles on my website on technocracy.news that relate to DARPA in one way or another. You can People can do a search in, on, on DARPA and find all those articles. Um, DARPA is a military organization full of technocrats who are bent on using technology to transform the world and in particular to transform the military yeah. and military capabilities. It's very disturbing what they do. It's very disturbing where they've invested money over the years as well into commercial companies. DARPA is not an organization that any American should be pleased with. Their projects are way off the rails of looking for, you know, what I like to call bleeding edge technology yeah. that can be used to further killing people in ways that you cannot hardly even imagine. It's just, it's antithetic to everything that America is about in the first place. America never set out to be the, the killing instrument of the world. That is not in our, in our heritage at all. We just wanted to be left alone. Yeah. That's all. Just quit picking on her. You pick on us, we'll pick on you, but leave us alone, and we'll leave you alone. Well, that's all changed today. Well, some of the headlines, shocking, and I know I've got some on Green Gospel. I've even linked an article from you. Now, here's an article from a guy who says, hey, you know what? And you know this guy, by the way. You know how you can end climate change and global warming? Patrick, it's simple. More abortions. That was said from, are you ready for who said it? John Podesta. And I have a new slogan for this guy. Here we go, Patrick. Arresta that molesta pedesta. <laughs> That's a good one. But listen. I heard that, but, but I like No, I, I actually made that up. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the headline doesn't stop there. As if that was not insidious enough, get this article that's up at The Guardian. This is Kim Stanley Robinson. Did a, type this headline. Throw it in a search. This was back in March. It said, empty half the earth of its human is the only way to save the planet. Pardon me? You cannot make this stuff up every time I turn around. These these lunatic lefties, and they're nuts, by the way. They're always proposing some sort of a soft kill calling. Well, it's, uh, it is. And fortunately, they haven't decided just to send, you know, carpet bombers uh, over cities and stuff to eradicate them. They're not taking that route. But they certainly are looking at reducing the population by attrition. And to somebody who's really bought into, ideologically bought into climate change, global warming, sustainable development, so on, the best way to reduce the carbon footprint of the world is to stop people from breathing yep. and consuming because you breathe carbon dioxide. It back, you know, you take in oxygen and you breathe out carbon dioxide. And as long as you're alive, you're actually consuming and producing, uh, you know, with other goods that you use and consume, you're producing more carbon dioxide as well. So you are a walking carbon dioxide machine. And the best way to stop carbon dioxide from going in the atmosphere ultimately is to reduce the number of humans that are that are breathing and, you know, driving cars and stuff like that. This is a crazy anti-human, very anti-human philosophy. And they say that they're going to try to save the world with their 17 sustainable development goals, for instance, to eliminate poverty, to uh, to have jobs for everybody, you know, have free health care for everybody. All these great utopian goals are out there in the front. But while they're going to save the world on one hand, what they're actually doing is they're implementing policies that are going to destroy the world. 
And we see this everywhere you look at the United Nations. Whatever they say they're going to do, look at the polar opposite. The technocrat mind, and it hasn't really changed significantly since the 1930s, by the way, but the technocrat mind views the people in society as a herd of animals. And as a result, it takes an approach to managing society as herd management. I grew up in a cattle ranch. I understand what that means, managing the herd. Um, but people are not animals. Their very low view of, of humanity, that we are really nothing more than animals deserving to be managed like animals, you see. This has turned society in a completely different direction. And this is why we have all of the monitoring going on, all the surveillance going on, all the micromanagement control. It's about herd management. That's what, for instance, vaccines are all about. You actually hear that language coming from the vaccine big pharma community. Well, we're practicing herd management because we need to get everybody vaccinated, right? They use that term, herd management, yeah. managing the herd. This is the way a technocrat thinks. And this is why these people are so stinking dangerous, in my opinion, is that you and I, in their mind, have completely lost our human identity, and we're being treated now like animals. This cannot possibly go well for humanity. Well, and why do you think they want to take the guns? They, we're not going to get on the boxcar willingly, Patrick. But but that's the thing is, ro I mean, even robots this last week were replacing in the first, I don't know if you saw this article where the global military arms race escalates indeed, but there was, I mean, humans took a back seat during a base exercise just last Friday in which, guess who cleared obstacles for manned tanks and fighting vehicles? Robots. We're talking about U.S. and British troops participating in this robotic complex breach concept and like one general said you know why we want within 10 years we want to replace all the military with super soldiers is because they'll just take out their targets they don't grumble they don't complain they don't eat they don't milk us after they get out of the army with god knows what their issue is with post-traumatic stress disorder and then we got to take care of them for the rest of their life not so with robots i mean they're the perfect replacing for humans aren't they well, whether they actually replace humans or not, one thing's for sure, they will kill humans. <laughs> and, uh, World War III, I can, I can virtually guarantee you that World War III, when it finally happens, will be a war between robots. In other words, people will not face people to kill each other. Robots will face robots. And in the process, will kill countless millions of innocent yeah. bystanders. Uh, people were aghast back in World War One. that was the first mechanized war in history. And, and even scientists and engineers who invented that stuff were aghast that they had created technology that could be used to, to, uh, to automate murder, killing. But what's going on right now with, with, uh, with robot warfare, it, it guarantees that the next war is going to be a war of automatic robots. Yeah that will attack each other and in the process kill untold numbers of civilians in the process. It's just, um, well, I, it, it's not ironic. I, it, I, I'm not sure the word quite to put on it, but it's a very, very sad thing that these people are doing to humanity. Because as I said earlier, they say that they're going to save the world. I say bunk. The policies they're implementing are going to destroy the world, not save it. People need to get tuned into this. This is not salvation technology in any way, shape, or form. 
all the promises that they give you that, hey, everything's going to be great. You'll see. We're doing all this for the peace, prosperity, and all that jazz. I'm sorry. No, you're not. You're implementing policies that are anti-human, and it will end up with the abject misery. Yeah, and this is the same crew, by the way, that wants, uh, well, ask uh, the pontifical advisor to the Pope, John Schnellhaber, what did he say in New York three years ago? The carrying <laughs> capacity of the Earth, Patrick, it needs to be around one billion maximum. Well, if you've got Henry Kissinger and good old Zbigniew Brzezinski and gang, <laughs> and Ted Turner, by the way, and Bill Gates and, and all these technocrats saying, listen, we have to get the Earth down to about one billion. Arnold Schwarzenegger is suing big oil because he believes that too. Now, this is the point is when you have people saying one billion people, well, Patrick, my question is, what happens to the other six billion people? Well, that's right. Uh, They could be eliminated by not having a replacement rate, like kind of what we have now. The demographic curve is headed straight down all over the world. It could be a pandemic. It could be a world, you know, a world war where a lot of people get killed and not replaced. You know, they never really say what's going to happen to all the people. But we see that pressure. I have a coloring book that was uh, produced by the United Nations, a coloring book for children. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's all about sustainable development, right? But in that book, there's a statement, a picture in a statement that says the earth groans whenever a child is born. You know, it's like, you can't make this stuff up. But people... Our citizens are not paying attention to this kind of claptrap. You know, this is the United Nations mantra, though. And this is what Al Gore says in his book, Earth and the Balance, and all these other hucksters like good old Paul Ehrlich and Holdren wrote a book together. These two creeps wrote a book where they suggest putting sterilants in the water. And they will say right in there, there's a little thing a kid can pull out. Oh, here's for your children. Oh, a little Earth charter. I pledge allegiance to Mother Earth because guess what, Patrick? We're giving Mother Gaia a fever. We're giving the great goddess of fever. The big problem is her human infestation. Like Al Gore said in the book, Earth in the Balance, Mother Gaia needs to be protected at all costs. Don't you understand? This human infestation is a problem. So not surprising the EPA deemed CO2 as a deadly pollutant because what you exhale, which is by the way, plant food, even a kid can figure out that one. And this is the ironic thing, Patrick. CO2 and temperature have no correlation. It's got nothing to do with each other when the temperature rises. CO2 levels don't rise. So this is a concoction straight out of the pit of hell to try to tell children, listen, it's the humans that are the problem. By and large, it's a fraud. The whole thing is a fraud based on faulty science, outright phony manufactured data put forward by people who have a disingenuous motive of controlling the resources of the world uh, by people that are, for instance, in the United Nations, the most corrupt organization on the planet, (laughs) that are pushing this doctrine globally, everywhere. I uh, have a picture on my homepage of Technocracy News of the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations shaking the hand of Chinese Premier for Life, Xi Jinping. And he's praising Jinping for being one of the greatest supporters of sustainable development in the world. Mm -hmm. They love this guy, right? And so as he's glad-handing the leaders of the autocratic world like Jinping, other members of the United Nations are out plundering socially, morally, and even financially the the smaller nations of the world where they can get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) They're pillaging and plundering, Patrick. They're pirates. (laughs) Plundering is a word we need to get back into the vernacular.
factor here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> well, I mean, look at this one stunning article. You said earlier in the show, jaw-dropping. Check this out. This is unbelievable. Scientists, giant sunshade in the sky could solve global warming. Actually, that's your article. That's the one I was talking about. Giant sunshade? Are you kidding me? These technocrats are finally exposing, Patrick, their their crackpot schemes to cool planet Earth. They say they're going to save the Earth, but their policies are producing the opposite results because after all, hey, it's fine to be solar geoengineering and, you know, spraying all these particulates in the air. Oh, we're just cloud seeding. Yeah, so what? We're chemtrailing because we have no problems shooting off barium, stromium, aluminum into the atmosphere because, hey, it's the right thing to do to combat climate change. Nothing to see here, Patrick. The entire mantra of sustainable development, and that includes global warming and everything that goes along with that, all of that stuff, the entire philosophy at its base is anti-human. I realize a lot of people on, on the local level would not agree with that because they have no awareness of what the philosophy, where it started from and what it's doing. But it's an anti-human philosophy that will continue to, uh, to express itself in anti-human ways. And it really doesn't matter if practitioners on a street level understand that or not. The philosophy that they bought into is essentially anti-human, and it cannot do anything other than anti-human things when they try and do something in the local community, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and this also ties into, I was reading an article up at The Verge. It said, if Facebook controls your mind, well, then so do a lot of other tech companies. And this is where Facebook, Google, Amazon, or Apple, Apple, they're saying, listen, Facebook algorithms control our population and politics. In fact, an artificial intelligence researcher at Google and the author of a, a machine learning library, he said in a widely shared Twitter thread, Facebook is capable of mass population control. Its AI doesn't even need to be sophisticated. This is happening with the Stasi censorship, of course, on YouTube, Google, Twitter platforms. I'm getting shadow banned. My video was pulled. They don't appear in threads. Josh Peck did a really good show on how certain algorithms can just allow you to have one comment when you have my Weekend Vigilante Facebook page has 50,000 followers, 50,000 likes, and yet sometimes I'll get one comment. People are like, I can't see your feeds. Well, Google's powerful search algorithms can unwittingly, they serve up false facts, false answers, collects personal data. That's a whole other part of this. But even these home assistants like Amazon Alexa or like Echo Plus now with, oh, with a built-in smart home hub. Well, there you go. Or what I call virtual assistant wiretaps. All, all this data mining, this intrusion, the big brother, this hack tracking and attacking us, the level is shocking. Well, it is. And uh, artificial intelligence is clearly one of the most, uh, most dangerous uh, technologies that we have in the world today. The real issue, the danger of artificial intelligence is how people like Mark Zuckerberg or Eric Schmidt at Google or anybody, any other of the big media giants, the danger is how these people will use artificial intelligence to turn the system against us. That's the danger. Bingo. It is. That's what it's all about. And that's exactly what Mark Zuckerberg has revealed in his testimony, is that the system of artificial intelligence, which is really all made by man, is all programmed by people. Come on, it doesn't make itself. And the people program their biases into the software. 
Duh, of course they would. So when they set this, this the artificial intelligence algorithm up, they slant it to their own biases, to their own political philosophies, etc. And so instead of having one person or a team of people with their, with their finger on a delete button watching the post come by, shoot, that's old hat. Yeah. Now we can fire those people and we can put in a program that can push a delete button a million times a minute without any human intervention. How cool is that? Well, funny you just said how cool is that because our young generation finds all this stuff very cool. I was just reading an, an article over there at the Telegraph. It says why virtual reality could resurrect the golden age of video game arcades. There's a UK startup called Emotion VR. You can visit World Heritage Sites, the wonders of the world, without leaving your home. The Open Heritage Project, it's a collaboration between, gee, I wonder who, Google, and an Oakland, California-based company called SciArc. It's always got to have some biblical word, gee, a SciArc. Hey, you know, Google approached us about opening up our archives to a broader audience. Boy, just throw on your VR headsets and you can immerse yourself in a panoramic view of, well, let's say the the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, Pompeii, Flanders Fields in Belgium. Oh, wouldn't it be nice to go see the World War I battleground? Hey, the Washington Monument. Why not the pre-Inca religious sites in north-central Peru? I mean, the list goes on and on. It is frightening right now how they're acclimating us to virtual reality. But let me tell you something. This is dangerous technology, and people don't get that, Patrick. You must protect your young people from virtual reality. It is going to completely, well, I, I'm not sure what word to use. We used to be worried years ago about propaganda, you know, corporate yeah. and, and political propaganda. Hitler knew all about propaganda. And we have a lot of it floating around today. But propaganda still has to be believed by the people who receive it into their eyes and ears and so on. Virtual reality, when you put a helmet on or goggles on and you are projected into a scenario that looks as real as a scenario just looking around the room right now. When you put yourself into a situation like that, the reality that you perceive, the fake reality that you perceive through those glasses actually becomes real to you. It becomes real. It creates memories in your mind. It rewires your mind to adapt to that new reality that you're seeing on the screen. This is really difficult for people to get their head around. Maybe, maybe parents need to go try it themselves and just see what I'm talking about. But your kids will be reprogrammed with memories. You don't have any idea what's, what's being done to them, but they will be reprogrammed to think a certain way, to react and emote in a certain way. They will have memories implanted in them that were not real. They're not based in reality whatsoever, but they will, will remember them later as real memories. This is absolutely dangerous technology. And you know, the thing that just bothers me so much about all of this, Patrick, is no one really bats an eye. You know, oh, rewiring our kids. Gee, what's wrong with that phrase? Rewiring our children's brains. What is wrong with people? Like, I, I don't understand why the average person just shrugs their shoulders on this stuff. I mean, how depraved are we as a society? I, I just don't know how much worse it can get. I mean, Lord have mercy. You know, the people in the world, I know, uh, as screwed up as the whole world is and individual people in the world, the world is so starved for wisdom. It's just staggering. There's no wisdom anywhere. 
in this stuff. Nobody's got a, it's like the scarecrow and the wizard of Oz. Nobody's got a brain and there's no wisdom because science is dispassionate. It has, it's not, has no compassion, has no love, has no ability to reason things through and understand whether it's wise to pursue something or not. So this stuff races forward at breakneck speed. Just, Hey, we don't care. We don't care about the ethics of it. We don't care about any responsibility. We have no responsibility because we're scientists, and everybody knows scientists invent. Engineers invent, too, of course. But they do it because they can, not because they, you know, it's going to serve society in any particular way. And so all these things keep cropping up, and you say, guys, somebody's got to step in somewhere. Somebody's got to step in and say, look, do you really know what you're doing? Do you know, do you know what impact it's going to have on society? Do you care? If you don't care, maybe you should just get out. Go use your own money and practice your own science at home. But we ain't giving any more taxpayer money. <laughs> to nail us to the wall. Yeah, go practice your science and your little ever-expanding infrastructure matrix on on someone else. And this this really ties into, you know, not only do they want us connected to the global brain, Patrick, but this is all that whole, you know, quantum leap in the mobility of people, resources, ideas, evolution. You know, again, it goes back to Agenda 2030. Oh, more than two-thirds of the world's population will live in cities. Why? They do not want you living in the rural areas. It's like planetary urbanization. They want you to live in this giant megalopolis. You know what we're entering into? A post colonial world. It's like this global network civilization. Alice Bailey talked about becoming a global citizen in a global network civilization. The future is connectivity, Patrick. It is. And one book I, I hope that if you haven't already got it, you might get a hold of it sometime by uh, Dr. Parag Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A. The title of the book is Connectography, not like geography, but Connectography, Mapping the Future of Global Civilization. And what he proposes in this book is a very scholarly book. He's, he's part of the global elite, you know, academic cadre. And he proposes in this book that the cities of the world, the global cities, are going to be the new actors uh, on the world stage for any kind of you know, influence and power. And the global cities are all connected internally and externally as well to each other. And so he views a borderless world, number one, where the city-state will be the primary actor. And he proposes connecting all the city-states together, get this now, to create a global city. Now, knowing what we've already heard about 5G and connections and all that kind of stuff, you can picture, even though Paris is in France, London's in England, New York's in the U.S., Toronto's in Canada, Seattle is on the West Coast, you take all these global cities, Hong Kong, Beijing, and if you connect them together with high-speed infrastructure, which is what they're doing, he envisions creating a global city that acts as one. A global city with no borders. This so far surpasses Babel. It's not even funny, but it's the same MO, isn't it? It's the same thing. We can create a city so great that it will take control of the destiny of humanity, even perhaps reaching up into heaven. That's my commentary, by the way, not what he said. Just is very blunt about connectography. If you connect all the cities together with this with this infrastructure, the cities will begin to operate as a global mind, which is what they talked about at Mobile World. It'll begin to operate as a global mind with a global consensus, with global policy, all connected together by artificial intelligence, and it will literally be a global city no matter where you go. Wow. Well, that's what I call hell on earth 
gee, maybe I'll hit up that startup company, Patrick, and I'll uh, I'll see if I can go back to taking the blue pill. <laughs> I better phone Total Recall and, and get some memories implanted. Memories that I don't know any of this stuff. You know, forget Total Recall and buying memory implants, even from that startup company, Colonel. DARPA's funded these tests where, oh, memory-boosting brain implants. They put these prosthetic memory implants, and it's like, oh, what does that do? Boosts your short-term memory power. Gee, what if you had a microchip inside your brain that can remember things for you? That's right. For those of you that walk in a room and can't remember why you walked in there, this research paper in the Journal of Neural Engineering summarized that this stuff is on the hopper. This isn't just a theory or thesis or, ooh, gee, science are looking at this. They actually put these things in 15 patients. Oh, yeah, well, I'm sure they had epilepsy or something, right? But the results are nothing short of impressive. Why? Because, well, it's always, well, listen, we're just trying to help people that have, you know, traumatic brain injuries, who've had a stroke, memory loss due to aging, Alzheimer's. It's just such a malevolent procedure. You're in and out. And hey, you can even pay with crypto. Uh, By the way, in the waning moments, Patrick, I want to know your thoughts on crypto. Well, um, it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, you know, I've talked about cryptocurrencies uh, off and on for a number of years now. I think it's very, uh, a, still a very dangerous place to invest any money, but it's having an impact around the world that, you know, the ripple is going out. Amazing things are happening. Here's one. Uh, just the other day, an Islamic scholar declares that Bitcoin is Sharia compliant. Whoa, whoa. Now chew on that one for just a second. The Islamic world is all of a sudden heavily invested in Bitcoin. And a leading Islamic scholar has decided, or I don't know, whatever they declare, that Bitcoin is actually compliant with Sharia. In other words, it's okay for Muslims to invest in Bitcoin and to use Bitcoin and to do things with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency slash blockchain type of devices. And they give the reasons for it. And, you know, you can uh, read that. and Yeah, it makes some sense. Uh, From their point of view, it makes some sense. But, But here's the thing. The Islamic world is completely sold out. I'm talking about Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about the United Arab Emirates, for instance, for starters. They're completely sold out to the concept of finance using technology for sustainable development at the United Nations. They call it fintech, F-I-N-T-E-C-H, like for financial technology. But that's Bitcoin. That's blockchain. And they are committed to being the global leaders in fintech. Now, this is not jihadi you know, a movement at all. This is a very civilized, if you will, movement into global finance. And it's going to have some interesting twists and turns, I can tell you right now. Because while people are still worried about what ISIS is doing in Syria, the civilized Islamic world is taking over global finance. Something's wrong with this picture, you see. (laughs) Well, and that probably ties into why the Swedish citizens are also waking up to the dark side of going cashless too, aren't they? Yes, they are. They really are. In Sweden, where, which, which led the cashless revolution in the first place, they stripped uh, almost all cash out of society now, and everybody has to use plastic. Some citizens in Sweden 
are starting to ask the question, what would happen if the system went dark? Yeah. What would happen if the system got hacked and all of a sudden we wake up and we have no we have no ability to do anything? And so they're they're saying, uh-oh, we are in deep doo-doo here. Bring back the cash, guys. Bring back the cash. And of course, the central bank is not about to bring back cash under any circumstances. But people are starting to, to wake up to the idea if, the, if the, the plastic system goes dark, we're all doomed because you're standing there financially naked as a jaybird. You got the clothes on your back. That's it. You can't even get food to go in your stomach for that day if you don't have anything in the refrigerator. You can't buy or sell. This is a very dangerous situation, but this is what's happening across the world. It's happening in our nation. It's happening in India. It's happening in Russia. It's happening in China, all over Europe. And this is a concerted effort by the central banks to strip cash out of society and replace it with some type of electronic money. That could be Bitcoin. It could be something like Bitcoin. It could be another blockchain-oriented currency. There are several under development right now by the central banks themselves, including the Bank for International Settlements. And if they ever decide that one suits better than another, they will implement it. And instead of the blockchain being distributed like it is with Bitcoin and all the various packets that get travel around the world, the central bank's idea is that the blockchain will be stored on a central computer under their control, meaning that they will have access to every financial transaction on the planet, meaning that they will have perfect data for what goes on. This is technocracy's push, by the way, to get everybody into the system because anybody that's not in the system is a threat to them. They can't control them. They can't track them. They can't monitor them. They must have everybody in the system. Can I dare say something from um, a, a Common Core education standards? No child left behind. Mm. No person left behind. You see this language all over United Nations documents. No person left behind. That includes finance. <laughs> That includes the economic system. Everybody is being forced into the system, whether they like it or not. Well, and isn't it so interesting when you say that phrase, no man can buy or sell? Where have we heard that before, Patrick? Oh, my gosh. It couldn't be Revelation 18, could it? No, no, no. I, I don't no, think so. no. Sounds familiar. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we joke around about this stuff. But honestly, this stuff is absolutely a sci-fi come to life. Like Sweden said, what happens if somebody, you know, flips a switch? Oh, we're just getting around to thinking about, oh, gee, um, who controls this? I mean, think about that, folks. In Stockholm, banks do not handle cash anymore. You don't use coins when you're hopping on the, you know, the shiny blue buses. No, it's all digital payments. I was actually kind of surprised that the LA Times had an article back in January, The Perils of a Cashless Society. Visa last year offered up to 50 small businesses a $10,000 bounty to go cashless. You know, I was thinking how to, you know, that you see these vagrants sometimes on the street corner, the cashless future won't be easy for, you know, these kind of people. It's like, oh, got any spare change? Uh, no, I don't have any change. Shockingly, there's test locations now for Starbucks and the Shake Shack and Dos Toros and Tender Green Chains. They're no longer accepting cash. Cash is no longer King Patrick. And no card, no problem. Pay with your ring, your watch, your bracelet, your phone, wearable payments, market testing, accessories to replace cards. So you don't even need your wrist anymore, Patrick. Well, you know, honestly, you don't need anything in your in your wrist at all. 
you've got your irises, iris in your eyes, you've got your, your face, which is clearly recognizable to a, a certainty of 99.999%. <clears throat> you've got your fingerprints, which are really not very, you know, they're not so unique anymore in no, some ways. No. If everything else fails, you have your DNA, which is absolutely you. So there are already a number of ways to identify you without having anything at all physically inserted into your body. This is already taking place in China right now, where they can find somebody on the street. They, they've already cataloged everybody in China into a, a photograph database. But their advanced biometric software, artificial intelligence software, can find somebody in a city of 2 billion people within three minutes. That's how many cameras they have that are on the street taking pictures of everybody, all being fed back into a supercomputer, analyzed in real time, and they can locate somebody in those millions of people within just a couple of minutes. That's absolutely staggering. And they're bragging about China is bragging about its ability. Most of the technology that they use in China today was invented by Western companies. Mm -hmm. Some of them even involved DARPA. But these companies could not use that technology in America because it was patently illegal. So what they did, China said, look, we love that stuff. Bring it over here. Well, you can test it over here. <laughs> so they went over there and they helped China implement this stuff, which is an autocracy. Jinping can do whatever he wants to do. And they, they tested and perfected the technology in China. And guess what? Do you think there's a one chance in eight gajillion that these same companies are not going Going to recenter that technology on us? Not a chance. They're going to bring it here just as sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Just give them enough time. They're going to bring their technology home and they're going to implement it here as laws in our country break down, giving them the right to do so. Wow, we covered a lot of ground today, Patrick, which reminds me this is the reason, folks, why you need to get out to Red Pill Expo because you know what? You're not going to hear your pastor talking about this stuff. Your Christian friends probably aren't talking about it. So this is a great way to network and connect with like-minded folks, a lot of Christians. So let's just summarize again why they need to be there. And let's give out the amazing coupon code on how they can save a tremendous amount on their ticket. I tell you, after what we're talking about here, Sheila, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you are grasping anything of what we're saying, you need to come to Red Pill Expo and meet these people that are telling the truth about this stuff. This is the only place in our country that you're going to find this quality of, of people, experts coming together at the same time in the same place to give you a dose of reality that you will never forget. I absolutely guarantee it. It'll be the it'll be the event of your life if you come and how you can get a nice discount on tickets when you order tickets on redpillexpo.org you can use the discount code guess whose name sheila that's easy to remember because they all know you right sheila <laughs> just type in the discount code of sheila and you will get a 15 percent discount and that doesn't matter what you what you do. If you want to come and be an exhibitor, you get 15% off the exhibit table. If you want to buy a live stream ticket, you're going to get 15% off that. And prices will never be cheaper between now and the time the conference comes around than this particular 15% discount. So, you know, take take us up on it. The website is redpillexpo.org. That's real easy to remember. <laughs> redpillexpo.org. 
you know, people can not only buy a ticket to come in person, which would be the preferable thing if you can, because you're, this is the networking event of the year. But we also have a live stream ticket that people can buy. We're putting them up side by side. You make the choice. If you can't come in person, buy a live stream ticket and you will be able to see the entire proceedings with even some extra bonus material in the comfort of your own home, on your computer, on your screen, you know, TV screen, whatever. And you can pick up this stuff. And I'm encouraging people actually to have their own little mini Red Pill Expos in their neighborhood. People have been, what can I do? Well, here's something you can do. Figure out a way to get this on your big screen TV and go out and invite some neighbors over. Call for an open house. Put out some chips and dip. Put out some, you know, some sodas or adult beverages or whatever you have a mind to do and invite some people over into your home to catch a few of these speakers and have your own little fellowship. How hard can that be, Sheila? Absolutely. Hey, throw up some posters in your church. Throw up some posters at a few local stores. Plan a night. Pray and let God do the rest, and you never know who you might connect with. The Red Pill Expo at redpillexpo.org. Go check that out and use coupon code SHEILA. Patrick, wow, we're running out of time here. Patrick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program, and we will see you in June, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Sheila. Folks, that was Patrick Wood, author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. Get his updates from technocracy.news. We are out of time, but listen, we have a fantastic program this rest of the week and into next week. Amazing guests, just a lineup of people, just a wall. I have tomorrow on the program is Mark Sellers, a friend of mine. I've been wanting him to do this. Michael Lake this week, Steve Quayle is Friday, and then, boy, just a bunch of new guests. And Gary Wayne is on Monday, and I can't wait for that. Remember Gary Wayne? You've all been asking me to get him on. Gary Wayne, remember the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy? I get a lot of requests for him. I got another guy that you're just going to be shocked at his testimony. His name is Ruben Palermos. He was the former ringleader of a rogue cop gang. Incredible testimony. It's really something else. And I've got also next week, Ron Cohen. Uh, He was just on Sid Roth and I had to get him on. So many great guests. I can't even keep up, folks. And last but not least, listen, if you have not become one of my patrons, I've been updating my patrons. Please do consider that. And like I said, May 1st, everybody, everyone is asking me the podcast, the podcast, what's going on at the podcast. Listen, if you become one of my Patreon members and I do reach my monthly goal, I may consider going back to the podcast. So if you're listening to this show and you've been blessed by this ministry, well, then I'm asking you to do what you can. I think it's a pretty good ministry to sow into, but you know, I'm a little biased, I guess. I put a lot of work into my shows to bring you cutting edge guests. And I and I hope you think that it's a ministry worth supporting. Go over there to Sheila Zielinski Patreon, throw it in a search, and it's also linked in the description below. Please do support my work. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.